It's the third of a three-week series called My Big Fat Mouth. As I was preparing this week, I wondered why I get to preach two of those three messages. I don't know for sure. Actually, um, you know, the sign, uh, the, the bumper video is pretty funny. That little sign's pretty funny. But it reminds us that sometimes when we open up our mouth, out comes things that we don't want to come out. The first two weeks, we talked about lying and comparing ourselves to others. We talked about gossiping. And uh, Pastor Barry in the very first week said this, to do any of these things is natural. Nobody has to teach our children to lie, to say he did it whenever he wasn't even there. Nobody has to cause our children to whine when they're, you know, you know what, what I mean, like all the time whenever they're two, three years old. Nobody has to teach that. It's just in there. And so we've had this series to talk about our big fat mouths. And uh, Jesus' half-brother James had a lot to say about our mouths, and we're going to look at that in a moment. Before we do that, let's pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, our mouths can be changed. From the inside out, we can become new people. And we know that, and we thank You for that. And God, as we talk one more time about something we do with our mouths that's not helpful, we pray that Your Holy Spirit would open our, our minds, our hearts, in our lives so that we can receive your truth, your goodness, and, and so that when we leave here today, we will be better equipped to share your truth and love with everybody we meet and to live in ways that honor you in every area of our lives, including our big fat mouths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is what James wrote. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. So that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? What James said is, you don't have salty water and fresh water coming out of the same spring, but unfortunately, sometimes we do have words of encouragement and affirmation come out of the same mouth that outcomes curses and gossip and complaining and all of those things. That's why we needed this three-week series to remind us what Jesus told us in the scripture I read last week, out of the abundance or overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. While it's natural, natural for a um, mouth 
to say negative things, to tell gossipy stories about others that will make us look better or make them look worse. While it's natural for us to complain, the more that Jesus takes hold of our heart, the more that when we open up our mouth, out will come things that will affirm and encourage and express love and glory to God. So this series is really a mini-series of our lives as Jesus' followers. I'm going to ask them to put something on the screen right now because it's such an important truth. We all say and do things naturally that hurt others and ourselves because we're fallen people by birth. And I had that highlighted, that fallen, underlined fallen, because that's a certain worldview. And it's a worldview that's not really that popular in our culture today. The worldview of our culture says this, you know we're all basically good people. Sure, we might need a little counseling, a little bit of social engineering, but at the end of the day, on the inside, we're good. And then there's another group of our culture that says, well, we're not good and we're not bad because there is no such thing as good and bad. We're all just basically animals. You know, we're electrical and chemical impulses. And so what we are is what we've evolved to be or what we've been conditioned to be. But as Pastor Barry reminded us in the very first message in this series, lying has been going on since the beginning of human history. And, and I'm going to ask us to look at Genesis chapter 3. Not, we're not going to open up and go there, but I'm going to say in Genesis chapter 3 is the record of what happened that caused the human race to be fallen. And what happened was there was a serpent and he came and he talked to the first two people who were perfect at the time. And he convinced them that being perfect wasn't really good enough, that they actually had something better than being perfect, and that was they could be gods. They could be gods. They believed the lie and what we call the fall occurred. And why it's called the fall is because we fell out of the intimate relationship we had with the living God and out of relationship with each other. Before it happened, Adam and Eve, when they opened up their mouth, out came good things. Always, always, always. Love, truth, affirmation, kindness, encouragement. But after the fall, out came other things. And the reason we know that is because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks so after the fall, kindness, affirmation, encouragement were replaced by lying and comparing and gossip and complaining. And that's not always true. I mean, I know that some people who don't even know Jesus say kind things and encouraging things. And that's because of what John Calvin, a theologian uh, about four or five hundred years ago, said was general grace. That God's grace is so evident across the universe that it sort of pours out and even in, in among the most wicked people. There are sometimes words of kindness and encouragement that come out. But the reality is, God did not want us to live in a fallen condition. In fact, God did something about it. And we could put it this way, God decided to set us free from sin and death. He decided to purchase our freedom through the blood of Jesus, His Son. Those two statements could be, the seri you know, could be two series of messages in and of themselves. But for today, let's simply put it this way. We don't have to live as fallen people, because Jesus offers us redemption. We don't have to live as fallen people, because Jesus offers us redemption to be set free from sin and death from the inside out. Now, a lot of people think that all it means to be saved is for Jesus to come in our lives, and, and when that happens, we're going to go to heaven someday. And between now and the day the bus shows up to take us to heaven, we just sort of got to live our lives on our own. That really all Jesus did was save us so that we would go to heaven someday. And Jesus did save us, so we will go to heaven someday. 
But that's really only the tip of the iceberg of why Jesus came. Jesus didn't live, die, rise again, return to heaven and send the Holy Spirit only so that we can go to heaven someday. He also did that so we can live meaningful, powerful, redeemed lives in every part of our being here and now. You see, Jesus didn't just die on the cross to save us so we can go to heaven someday. He died on the cross to redeem our big fat mouths. Let me say that again. He died to redeem our big fat mouths. So often, we only get a teaspoonful of the grace and goodness and redemption of the ocean that Jesus has provided for us. He wants us to live for eternity with Him, but He wants us to live this life in meaning and purpose as He lived His life here on earth. The longer I live, the more I realize how little of what Jesus gave us we actually receive. How little we actually bring into our lives on a daily basis. Today we're going to consider one final area where we open up our mouths and out comes something that we don't want to come out, and it's complaining. So the dictionary, dictionary dictionary.com, defines complain. To complain is to express dissatisfaction, pain, uneasiness, censure, resentment, or grief to find fault. He complained constantly about the noise in the corridor. The interesting thing about complaining, according to the book Emotional Intelligence 2.0, which was written by Dr. Travis Bradbury, that repeated complaining hardwires the brain to do more complaining. In other words, it develops this like snowball that goes down a mountain. When I complain, I feel sort of good, and then I complain a little bit more, and then I complain more and more and more and more and more, and pretty soon, all I'm doing is complaining, and it's the same way for you. But here's the thing. As Pastor Alex asked us back in 2019 when he preached this message, uh, it's a very important question, and here it is. What if every time we, com- we were complaining, it wasn't against the circumstance or against the person or against the TV show, but instead it was directed to God? And it isn't really a stretch to realize that every time we complain, we are complaining about God. Because what do we complain about? The weather. Well, who created the weather? We complain about our circumstances. We complain about our relationships. And God can change our circumstances and our relationships. So God is the one who's on the receiving end of every complaint that we ever complain about because He is the author of everything. And so we need to take it up with Him, literally. And so the reality is God has provided the solution to us. All we need to do is follow Jesus. It's as simple and as hard as that. It's as simple and as hard as saying we're going to follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. So one more quote from Pastor Alex before I get to my content for today. It's an important quote. He said this, The problem is we've taken our eyes off the goodness of God and we've placed them dead center on ourselves. We've taken our eyes off of God and we've placed our eyes... It's hard to do. You need a mirror, right? To, to look at ourselves. But we place it dead center on ourselves. Plum disease is so devastating in our lives. And if you don't know what plum disease is, it's poor little old me. Poor little old me. Now if anybody ever deserved to play the poor little old me card, it was the Apostle Paul. I want you to think about the Apostle Paul for a moment. If you don't know about the Apostle Paul, he was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a Jew who was really serious about being a Jew. And when Paul was converted by seeing a vision of Jesus, and Jesus said, guess what, Paul? You get to be the missionary to the Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews. Pharisees hated the Jews. 
I mean, the, non, the, the non-Jews, and they hated most of the Jews too, but, but that's, a, that's a message for another day. They, they disliked, they wouldn't even touch a Gentile. They wouldn't. And yet Paul is told, you're going to go be the apostle to the Gentiles. And what did Paul do? He did it. He didn't complain. He just did it. So Paul had this great idea. He said, you know, I'm going to go to Rome and I'm going to preach in Rome because Rome is the center of the Roman Empire. And if I preach there, all the influencers are there and they will come to know Jesus and then they'll go out to all the parts of the empire and everybody will know Jesus. It was a great plan. And God said, well, Paul, I want you to go to Ephesus, Philippi, Corinth. He gave him this long list of places to go to to plant churches and to develop leaders before he got to go to Rome. And Paul didn't say, but he just said, okay, yes, Lord. He went, no complaining. And then Paul was ready to go to Rome and he got arrested. He he got arrested and he got imprisoned and he got sent from Jerusalem to Caesarea and ultimately to Rome. But the thing was, he didn't go to Rome to preach. He went to Rome as a prisoner. And on the way to Rome, from Caesarea to Rome, the best way to get there in those days was to go by ship. And Paul told them they 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 were going in the ship at the wrong time of year. They wouldn't listen to Paul, so the ship wrecked. Paul had to swim to shore. He got out uh, onto the shore. They built a fire. Paul was gathering firewood, and a poisonous snake attaches to his arm. No, I mean, think about this. Paul did everything that God asked him to do. And what was his reward? He gets to be in a Roman prison cell without Wi-Fi or HDTV. (laughs) He's... He's shackled to a Roman guard 24-7. Every eight hours, one, one guard leaves and they shackle another one. So he, he has to live in that condition and he has to buy his own food. In those days, if you were a prisoner, you had to pay for your own stuff. So all of that, you know, he gets his reward is a smelly prison cell shackled to a Roman prisoner. Now, if anybody ever had a reason to complain, it was Paul. And yet, Paul wrote a letter with his one free arm. He wrote a letter to the church in Philippi. And this is what he said about complaining. We find it in Philippians 2, 14 and 15. He says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. And and the key word there is everything. You know, have you ever complained in person you listen to, like sort of, you know, encourages you, oh, yeah, that's so terrible. Tell me more. Tell me more. That happens a lot of times, right? Oh, poor little old you. Poor little old you. That plo disease instead of plum disease, right? Poor little old you. But what Paul said is, no, 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 no. Whenever you have the opportunity to complain, just don't do it. Pastor Craig Rochelle once said, and this is our take-home point for today, if you can change your circumstance, do something about it. And if you cannot, then change your perspective. So when something's wrong in our lives and we can change it, then let's just change it. But if something is wrong in our lives and we can't change it, then we need to change our perspective. Now, I don't know about you, but I have heard a lot of complaining over the last year and a half about the circumstance we've been in. I've heard complaining. I've, I've seen it in you know, social media posts and all that kind of stuff. I, I haven't seen a lot of people changing their circumstance. I just heard a lot of complaining about it. If complaining changed the world, <laughs> we'd live in a perfect world right now, wouldn't we? That's the way it's been for the last year and a half. So one time, Jesus was in a situation, I think which would cause people to complain. He went into the synagogue on a Sabbath day, and as he was standing there, he was looking around, and there's this guy who has a withered hand. Now, it's the Sabbath, and the Pharisees 
were watching Jesus because there was a rule that said you can't do any work on the Sabbath. And so they were going to watch Jesus. If he healed the guy on the Sabbath, what were they going to do? They were going to arrest him. And they're going to, they're actually, they're going to want to kill him. So Jesus understands what's going on. And I have a few thoughts about the Pharisees in, in that moment. I mean, do you think the Pharisees ever complained about disease and withered hands? I bet you they did. Do you think if any Pharisee had a withered hand that day that they would have wanted Jesus to walk up and touch their hand and be healed? I think they would. You see, they weren't caring about what was best or what was right. What they were caring about was Jesus was taking over their control and they wanted to be in control. I don't know if you've ever complained when somebody took control away from you, but it's a pretty common thing. Whenever people take control from our lives, we complain or even worse. But Jesus knew that he could change this guy's circumstance. So he did. He said, stretch out your hand. And we stretched out his hand. Woo, it's good as new. And that's what we do. When we can change the circumstance, we change the circumstance. When something's fixed or broken and we can fix it, we fix it. But what happens when we're in a circumstance and we can't change it? We can't change the circumstance. Well, we remember what our take-home point said. If you can't change your circumstance, change your perspective. If you find yourself in a place where God's plans are to keep you in the circumstance you're in right now, and you can't change that, then the question is, so how are you going to change your perspective? Let's turn back to Paul. Paul is now in Rome. He's in prison. He, went there, he wanted to go there to preach, but he didn't get to preach. He, he's in this prison cell, shackled to this Roman guard. And so what did Paul do whenever he couldn't change the circumstance? Here's what Paul did. He realized that he wasn't the center of the story. God was. Paul knew that his purpose was to preach the good news of Jesus everywhere. He knew that that was his goal. Now he was in a circumstance where he was chained up to this prison guard, a different one, every eight hours, and he couldn't do anything about that. So here's what he wrote to the Philippian church. He said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Paul was saying, you think this is a bad situation, right? <laughs> I'm chained to a guy eight hours. I get to tell him about Jesus for eight hours and he can't go anywhere. It's an awesome situation. And then after eight hours, they give me a new one. And I tell him about Jesus for eight hours. And after eight hours, they give me a new one and I sleep for a couple hours. Then I tell him about Jesus for six hours. And after those 24 hours, those three guys never want to come back again. So they give me a new guard. And I start over again. One-on-one -on -one discipleship is the best discipleship there is. It always has been. And so Paul saw his circumstance not the way we would see the circumstance. He saw it as an opportunity. Hey, and that's why it says that the whole palace guard, I think that's why the whole palace guard knew about Jesus, because every single one of them was eventually tied up to Paul for eight hours. And not just the palace guard. They didn't just know about Jesus. Some of them actually came to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. So God's purpose was done. You know, Paul didn't draw the play up that way. He came up to the line of scrimmage and he had a play called, but they had this receiver double covered and so you can't throw into double coverage unless you're Ben Roethlisberger then he gets intercepted. But anyway, that's a tangent. But he hasn't had an interception for five games. He only played in four of them. But anyway, <laughs> Ben sees the field and there's somebody wide open. It's not Ben anymore, it's Paul. Because he sees the play that he called didn't work. So he changed the call. He called an audible and he passes off to the little tailback who runs in for a touchdown. That's what Paul did. And that's what we get to do if we are thinking the way Paul did. Wherever you are right now, whatever your situation is right now, and you might think your situation's horrible, here's a question. If you're in a place you don't like, will you acknowledge that God still has a plan?
Will you acknowledge that in that situation, God still has a plan? What are you chained to right now? What is, what is it that you have to do that you can't get out of? What are your obligations? What things can't you shake in your life right now? If you can change your circumstances, change them. But if you can't, change your perspective. I'd like to close with a story from New Life's history about a terrible circumstance that came about and how the couple that was most centrally involved in that circumstance have used that circumstance for the last 10 years to help many people hear about Jesus. If you know Brian and Tammy Summers, you know that 10 years ago this month, their daughter Alex died in a single car accident on Hannestown Road right here in Saxonburg. And I had the privilege of going to that site on that night and sitting with Brian and Tammy, praying with them, talking with them. And in the midst of all of that, Tammy said to me, I want you to make sure that you preach the, the message of Jesus at her funeral. And I was amazed. I mean, they had just lost their last living child, and the main thing that Tammy was concerned about was that I talked about Jesus at Alex's funeral. At the time that that happened, 10 years ago, New Life was worshiping right down the road here at the South Butler Primary School, and the week before Alex's death, 250 people were coming out on a weekend for worship. The weekend after Alex's death, 350 people came to worship. Where did those 100 people come from? They came from what happened during the week. Brian and Tammy were, were witnessing the love of Jesus to people in the midst of that. 750 people came to Alex's funeral, and 70 people came forward and talked about how Alex had impacted and changed their lives. Ten people trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord at Alex's funeral. Now, the week after Alex's death, that following weekend when there were 350 people there, one of the new people, I walked up to them and she said, I'm new here. I said, yeah, I know. I said, tell me your name. And she told me and she said, you know why I'm here? I said, no, why are you here? And she said, because I saw Tammy Summers on the news and I want to come to a church that produces people like that. And I want you to understand something. No church produces a person like that. Jesus produces a person like that. The Holy Spirit produces a person like that. But churches can encourage and support People like that to become all that God created us to be. Over the years, God has used Alex's death to bring many people to himself. Now, let me restate that. Over the years, God has used Alex's life and Brian and Tammy's response to the pain that has come out of her death to bring many people to the Lord over the years. Anytime we think we have a reason to complain, we probably do. But you know what? When I start to complain, I think about Paul. I think about Brian and Tammy. I think about many of you because over the years we could tell many more stories about how terrible things have happened because terrible things happen in a fallen world. And how instead of complaining, you have used those things. We have used those things to point to God because the story is not about us. The story is about Jesus. Jesus didn't die on the cross just so we can go to heaven someday. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and went back to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit so we can live powerful lives right here on this planet in the midst of a fallen world. Paul said that we would be like bright lights shining in a world of crooked and perverse people. If it was a world of crooked and perverse people 2,000 years ago, you would have hoped that all the bright lights would have changed that. And it has to some degree, but not enough. We still need to be shining like bright lights 
in a world of crooked and perverse people. Now, if you were to say to Brian and Tammy Summers, what a wonderful man of God, what a wonderful woman of God, you know what they would say? No, no, no. We're not a wonderful man and woman of God. We're a man and woman of the great and wonderful God. You see, it's always about the God that we serve. It's never really about us at the end of the day. I could offer so many examples, as I said, of people right here in this room today and people in the other services from New Life who have responded exactly the same way. Always, always, always remember, Jesus doesn't redeem us just so we can go to heaven someday. That's a wonderful, that's a wonderful truth and reality. But he redeemed us so that we can live this life in victory. In fact, whenever uh, we look at life, I, I always say this. There's only three things that we can control in this life. We can have control over our, our allegiance. We have control over our attitude. We have control over our effort. If our allegiance is 100% for God, if our attitude is the attitude of Jesus, who came to, not to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If our effort is all in, then what can happen is we will see life like Paul did. Remember what Paul said when he wrote to the Roman church? He said, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. In all likelihood, Paul was in jail when he wrote that letter. He could say, we are more than conquerors even though I got chained to this guy who knows Jesus now, but he didn't yesterday. You see, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. So we have the opportunity. Every time we have an opportunity to complain, you know what we also have the opportunity to do? The opposite. I thought this was so cool. When I looked on dictionary.com for the opposite or the antonym of complain, you know what it is? Rejoice. Rejoice. And the Apostle Paul actually wrote those very words in, in Philippians chapter 4, 4. He says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. The next time a circumstance makes you want to complain, think about Paul. Think about Brian and Tammy. Think about other people that you know who have gone through hell on earth. Who instead of complaining, rejoice. You know, rejoice always. Always is the Greek word for always. It means the same thing in English. Every single moment, all the time, not a, not a moment. And so if we remember that, and if we do that, then we'll be doing the next step for this week, which is, if I can change my circumstance, I will. If I can't, I will change my perspective. It's not easy. You know, it's not easy to change your circumstance or change your perspective. It's much easier to complain. But by the power of God, by the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives, we can turn our complaining into rejoicing. Amen? Amen. All right. Last night I had to complain that they didn't even say amen at the end. <laughs> okay, so life is hard. Life is hard. It's hard even when we do rely on Jesus, but if we haven't relied on Jesus in our life, it's really, really hard. And so here right now, what I would like to do is if there's anybody here today who has never known Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I would like you to say yes to Jesus now. And here's why. Jesus came to be Lord, which means master or owner, to tell us how to live our lives. He also came to be Savior, to save us from sin and death, to save us from that fallenness that's inside of each and every one of us by virtue of being a human being. And, and here at New Life, what we say is it's simple to follow Jesus. It isn't easy. And it's certainly simple to come to know Him. It's as simple as ABC. A is admit. Admit 
that you're a sinner. Admit that when you open up your mouth, rejoicing doesn't always come out. Other things might come out as well. And then B is believe. Believe that Jesus is Lord. That He came from heaven, came to the earth, lived a perfect life, the only one ever lived. That He died on the cross, willingly gave up His life to give us opportunity to be redeemed, to be set free from sin and death. Rose from the dead to show the power of God, returned to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit. And one day He's coming back. And we get to be with Him forever. But in the meantime, we get to live His kind of life every single day when we believe that. And then finally C is confess. Confess our sins to God. Don't just admit that we're sinners, but confess it to God. And then do something really incredible. I I love the Greek word for confess. It's homologeo. It means to say the same thing. We say the same thing about Jesus that His Heavenly Father says to other people. That He is Lord. That He is God. That He is Savior, and that when people start to hear different things coming out of our mouths, what they will do is they will give glory to our Father in heaven. So we're going to give you the opportunity to do that in a moment, to pray and to transfer ownership from yourself to Jesus. Sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances that are completely beyond our control. And as Pastor Chris said, when we can't change our circumstances, we can change our perspective. Sometimes that's easy, and sometimes that feels impossible. But there is someone who makes all things possible, and that is Jesus. And if you haven't trusted Him as your Lord and Savior, today's the day. If you would like to do this, please pray with me now. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I am in need of a Savior. And I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died on the cross for my sins. And I confess that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I confess that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I thank you so much, God, that despite any circumstances that I face, that you are always good and you are always God and you are always in control. And I give you control of my life, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray.